St. Gregory Palamas, the homilies, homily 11, on the precious and life-giving cross. The cross of Christ was mysteriously proclaimed in advance and foreshadowed from generations of old, and no one ever reconciled with God except by the power of the cross. After our first parents transgressed against the God through the tree in paradise, sin came to life, but we died, submitting, even before physical death, to the death of the soul, the separation from God. After the transgression, we lived in sin, and according to the flesh, sin is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 7-8 As the apostle says, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Galatians 5.17 God, however, is spirit, absolute goodness, and virtue, and our own spirit is after his image and likeness, although sin has made it good for nothing. So how could anyone at all be spiritually renewed and reconciled with God unless sin and life according to the flesh had been abolished? The cross of Christ is this abolition of sin. One of our God-bearing fathers was asked by an unbeliever if he really believed in Christ crucified. Yes, he replied, I believe in him who crucified sin. God himself has borne witness that there were many who were his friends before and after the law when the cross had not yet been revealed. David, the king and prophet, says, as if there were definitely friends of God in his day. How precious also are the friends unto me, O God. Psalm 139.17 I shall now show you, if you listen attentively, for the love of God, how it was that people were called friends of God before the cross. Although the man of sin, the son of lawlessness, Thessalonians 2.3, by which I mean Antichrist, has not yet come, the theologian whom Christ loves says, even now, beloved, there is an Antichrist, John 2.18. In the same way, the cross existed in the time of our ancestors, even before it was accomplished. The great Paul teaches us absolutely clearly that the Antichrist is among us, even though he has not yet come, saying, His mystery doth already work in you. Thessalonians 2.7 In exactly the same way Christ's cross was among our forefathers before it came into being, because its mystery was working in them. Leaving aside Abel, Seth, Enos, Enoch, and Noah, and all these up until Noah who were pleasing to God and their com- contemporaries, I shall begin with Abraham, who was called the father of many nations, the Jews' father, after the flesh and ours by faith. As I am to start with the spiritual father of ours, He is a good beginning in God's initial call to him. What were the first words God spoke to him? Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and to the land that I will show thee. Genesis 12.1 This utterance certainly bears within the mystery of the cross, for it is exactly what Paul says when he glories in the cross. The world is crucified unto me. Galatians 6.14 When someone has fled his home, country, or the world without turning back, for him, his country, according to the flesh, and the world have been put to death, and ceased to exist, and this is the cross. God said to Abraham, before he had fled from his life, 
with ungodly men. Get thee out of thy country into thy land. Not that I will give thee, but I will show thee. Genesis 12.1 So that through this land another spiritual land might be shown. What were God's first words to Moses once he had fled from Egypt and ascended the mountain? Put off thy shoes from thy feet. Exodus 3.5 This another mystery of the cross which follows appropriately upon the first. You have come out of Egypt, says God. You have left the service of Pharaoh and have despised the fact that you were called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That word, world of evil servitude has been dissolved and ceased to exist as far as you are concerned. Nevertheless, you still need something more. What can that be? To take your shoes off of your feet and lay the sides of your side the coat of skins, Genesis 3.21, with which sin clothes you and in which it is at work, separating you from the holy ground. Take these shoes from your feet, which is to say, do not live any longer according to the flesh and in sin, but let that life, which is opposed to God, be abolished and put to death, and let the way of thinking based on this flesh, Romans 8, 6-7, and the law in your members, warring up against the law of your mind, and bringing you into captivity into the law of sin, Romans seven twenty three eight through 2 8 2 no longer hold sway, nor be active, for in it you have been put to death, and the, by the power of this visions of God. Surely this is the cross, and the divine Paul's work, and the cross is to have crucified the flesh without affliction and lust. Galatians 5.24 Put off, he says, thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Exodus 3.5 these words to Moses revealed that the earth was to be hallowed through the cross after manifestation of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ. At that time, as he looked for the great spectacle of the burning bush, which seemed cool as the dew, Moses foresaw the coming of the Christ, which was then in the for- future. The vision in God of the cross is a mystery greater than the early mystery. The great Paul and our Holy Fathers hint that there are two mysteries. For Paul not only said, The world is crucified unto me, but adds, And I to the world. Galatians 6.14 Fathers, for their part, command us not to hasten to ascend the cross before the cross, as though there were definitely two words of the cross and two mysteries. The first mystery of the cross, flight from the world, and parting from our relatives according to the flesh, if they are a hindrance to piety and a devout life and training of our body, which Paul tells us is of some value, 1 Timothy 4.8. And these ways the world and sin are crucified to us once we have fled from them. According to the second mystery of the cross, however, we are crucified to the world and of the passions once they have fled from us. It is not, of course, possible for them to leave us completely and not not be a weak and our thoughts useless unless we attain to contempla- contemplation of God. When through action we approach contemplation and cultivate and cleanse our inner man, searching for the divine treasure which we ourselves have hidden and considering the kingdom of God within us, then it is that we crucify ourselves to the world and the passions. Through media meditation, 
of this a certain warmth is born in our heart which chases away evil thoughts like flies and still spiritual peace and consolation in our soul and bestows sanctification on our body as the psalmist says my heart was hot within me while i was musing the fire burned psalm 39 3 one of our god-bearing fathers taught us about this saying strive as hard as you can to endure that your inner labor is according to god's will and you will conquer the outward passions the great paul urging us on in the same direction says walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh galatians 5 16 elsewhere he exhorts stand therefore having you your loins guard about with truth ephesians six fourteen. For the contemplative part of the soul strengthens and supports the, the part concerned with desires and chases away fleshly lusts. The great Peter tells us with absolute clarity what the reference to the loins and truth mean. Wherefore, he says, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope for the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 13. It is not possible for the evil passions in the world to leave us completely and not be at work in our thoughts unless we attain to contemplative of God, sorry, contemplation of God, inasmuch as such contemplation is also a mystery of the cross, which crucifies those who are worthy of it into the world. That vision which Moses had of the burning bush, not consumed by the fire, was also a mystery of the cross greater and more perfect than the mystery in the time of Abraham. It is, then, that case that Moses was initiated into the more perfect mystery of the cross, whereas Abraham was not. That would be unreasonable. In fact, Abraham was not initiated at the time when he was called, but afterwards he was once, twice, and in fact many times, though we do not have enough time to relate everything now. I shall remind you of Abraham's more wonderful vision of God when he clearly saw that the one God in three persons before he had proclaimed to be such. Genesis 18.1-6 The Lord appeared to him by walking him by the oak of Mamar. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and he ran to meet them. He actually saw the one God who appeared to him as three. God appeared unto him, he says, and lo, three men, having run to meet them, the three men. However, he addressed them as one, saying, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away from thy servant. The three then discoursed with him as though they were one. And he said to Abraham, Where is Sarah thy, thy wife? I will certainly return to thee. About this same time of the year, and Sarah thy wife shall have a son. As the aged Sarah laughed in hearing this, the Lord said, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Notice that the the one God has three hypostases, and three hypostases are one Lord, for it says, The Lord said. This is how the mystery of the cross worked in Abraham. As for Isaac, he himself prefigured him who was nailed to the cross, for like Christ he was obedient to his father unto death. And the ram offered instead of him, Genesis twenty three, twenty two thirteen, clearly foreshadowed the Lamb of God, who was led to the slaughter for our sake. Even the thicket in which the ram was caught 
contained the mystery of the sign of the cross, for it was called the thicket of Shebek, meaning the thicket of forgiveness. Genesis 22:13. Just as the cross was called the word, the wood of salvation, and Isaac's son Jacob, the mystery and sign of the cross were also at work. For he increased his flocks by means of wood and water. Genesis 30, 37, 43. The wood prefigured the wood of the cross and the water holy baptism, which holds within it mystery of the cross. We were baptized into Christ's death, said the apostles. Romans 6, 3. Christ, too, increased his human flocks by means of wood and water, the cross and baptism. When Jacob bowed down, bowed himself upon the end of his staff and blessed his grandchildren with his hands crossed. Genesis forty eight nine through twenty. He brought the sign of the cross even more clearly to light, because he was obedient to the forefathers from start to finish. He was beloved and blessed, even though Esau hated him for this. He bore every temptation with courage, and the mystery of the cross was at work throughout the, his whole life. That is why God said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Romans 9.13 Malachi 1.2-3 Something similar, brethren, happens in our case when someone obeys his earthly and spiritual fathers in accordance with the apostolic commandment saying, Children, obey your parents. Ephesians 6.1 He is loved by God's and having become in this respect, he, like his beloved son, Matthew, Three seventeen, seventeen five. Mark one eleven nine seven. Luke three twenty two nine thirty five and Second Peter one seventeen. But the disobedient son is hateful to God because he is a stranger to any resemblance to his beloved sons. Solomon the wise makes it clear that this does not just apply to Jacob and Esau, but to everyone at all times. An obedient son, he says is unto life, but the disobedient is unto destruction. Proverbs 13.1 Surely Jacob, the son of obedience, attained to the greatest mystery of the cross, by which I mean the vision of God, through which a person is more perfectly crucified to sin, dies to it, and lives to virtue. He actually bears witness himself to his vision and to salvation. For I have seen God, he says, face to face, and my soul is saved. Genesis thirty-two thirty. Where are the people who still go along with the loathsome prattle of those heretics and who have appeared in that our day? Let them hear that Jacob sought God's face, and not only did he not lose his life, but as he says himself, he was also saved, even though God said, There shall be no one to see me and live. Exodus thirty-three twenty. Surely there cannot be two gods, one that whose face can be seen by the saints, and the other whose face is above vision. Perish the impious thought, the face of God visible at, in, at, in, at the time of his manifestation to those who are worthy, is his energy and grace, whereas his face, which is never seen, is what is sometimes called the nature of God and is beyond the scope of any manifestation of vision. As it is written, no one has stood in the substance and essence of the Lord, Jeremiah twenty three eighteen, and either seen God's nature or made it known. So contemplation in God 
and the sacred mystery of the cross do not just drive away evil passions and the devils who devise them from the soul, but also heretical doctrines. They refute the advocates of such ideas and thrust them outside the boundaries of Christ's holy church, within which we have the privilege now to celebrate and declare the grace and energy of the cross among our forefathers, our fathers at the time before the cross. The mystery of the cross was working in Abraham, whereas his son Isaac himself prefigured the one who was afterwards crucified. In the same way, the mystery of the cross was at work throughout Jacob's life, while Jacob's son Joseph was himself a type and mystery of the divine human word who was later crucified. Joseph, who was led to the slaughter through jealousy by his kinsmen according to the flesh, for whose sake his father sent him, just was related to the case with Christ. We should not be surprised, however, that Joseph was not murdered, but sold Isaac. Isaac was not killed either. These men prefigured the truth that was to come, but were not themselves this truth. We can, however, discern in them the twofold mystery of Christ's twofold nature. Their being led to the slaughter foreshadowed the passion according to the flesh of him. He was the God-man, whereas the fact that they did not suffer foretold the impassable nature of his divinity. It was the same with regard to Jacob and Abraham. Although they were tempted, they were victorious, which is why the scripture clearly tells us about Christ. Of these four men who were renowned for their virtue and devoutness at the time before the law, two, Abraham and Jacob, had the mystery of the cross at work in their lives, whereas their own two, Isaac and Joseph, themselves proclaimed the mystery of the cross beforehand in a marvelous way. But what about Moses, who was the first to receive the law from God and to share it with others? He was himself saved by means of wood and water. Before the law was given, when he was exposed to the Nile's currents, hidden away in the ark, Exodus 2, 3-10, and by means of wood and water, he saved the people of Israel, revealing the cross by the wood, holy baptism by water. Exodus 1, 14, 15 15-31 Paul, who had looked upon the mysteries, says openly, They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud. 1 Corinthians 10-2 He also bears witness that even before the events concerning the sea and his staff, Moses willingly entered cross, Christ's cross, esteeming, he says, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than treasure of Egypt. Hebrews eleven twenty six. For the cross is the reproach of Christ from the standpoint of the foolish man. As Paul himself says of Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews twelve two. Far in advance, Moses proclaimed in the clearest possible way the, the figure and from the cross and the salvation from the sign would bring. For he stood in staff upright and stretched out his hand above it, and when he had formed himself into the shape of a cross, opened the staff, and this sight completely routed Almach, Exodus 17.8-13. Again, by placing the serpent of brass sideways upon the stand, he publicly raised up the sign of the cross and commanded the Jews 
who had been bitten were serpents to look upon them and the manes of salvation. And so he healed the serpent's bites. Numbers 22, 4-9. Time fails. Time fails me to tell of Joshua and his fellow judges and prophets, or David and his successors, who by the works of their mystery of the cross within them, dried up rivers, Second Kings 19.24, Isaiah 37.25, made the sun stand still, Joshua 10.13, raised the cities of their own godly, Genesis 19.25, Second Peter 22.26, became mighty in war, put foreign arms to flight, escaped the edge of the sword, quenched the violence of fire, stopped the mouths of lions, put kings to shame, Hebrews 11.33-34, Judges 4.6-13.24, Daniel 6.23. Reduced captains of fifty to ashes, Second Kings 1.13, raised the dead, First Kings 17.23, made the heavens stand still with a word, Second Kings 20.10-11. And let them go, preventing the cloud from giving rain, then letting them do so. If Paul says that faith has done all these things, it is because faith is power into salvation, and all things are possible for him who believes. Clearly Christ cross clearly the cross has the same power for believers, for the preaching of the cross to quote Paul again. It is them to perish foolishness, foolishness, but unto us which are being saved. It's the power of God, 1 Corinthians one eighteen. If we move on from all those who lived before or under the law, the Lord himself, for whom are all things, and by, by whom all th- are things, Hebrews 2.10, and before the cross, he that taketh not his cross and follow after is not worthy of me. Matthew 10.38 Notice that even before the cross was fixed to the ground, it was the cross which brought salvation when the Lord spoke openly beforehand of his passion and death on the cross. Peter could not bear to hear, knowing that the Lord's power yet saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. It shall not be done unto you. Matthew sixteen twenty two. The Lord reprimanded him because of the in respect his thinking was human, not divine. And when he had called the people unto him and his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his soul will lose it. But whoever shall lose his soul for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. Mark eight thirty four through thirty five, Luke nine twenty three, Matthew sixteen twenty four through twenty five. He also invited the people together with his disciples, and then announced and proclaimed these great and marvelous thoughts, which are obvious from God, not from men. This was to make it clear that such things were not demanded solely of his chosen disciples, but of everyone who believes in him. To follow Christ means to live according to his gospel and to give proof of every virtue and true piety. 
The fact that anyone wishes to follow him must deny himself and take up his cross means he must not spare himself when the moment comes, but be ready to die a dishonorable death for the sake of virtue and for truth of holy doctrines. Though it be great and marvelous thing for someone to deny himself and surrender himself to extreme dishonor and death, it is not contrary to reason. When earthly kings go to to war, they do not let people follow them who are not prepared to die for them. So it is not surprising that the king of heaven, who came to live on earth according to his promise, should seek people as his followers in his attack upon the common enemy of the human race. Earthly kings can neither revive those killed in war, nor reward them fittingly for bearing the brunt of the battle. What could someone who is no longer alive receive them? receive from them. But in the Lord there is hope, even in for those who have died. If their death was in defense of what is sacred, to his followers who were given who were daring in battle, the Lord gives reward of eternal life. Whereas earthly kings require those who follow them to be prepared to die for them, the Lord gave himself over to death for our own sake and commands us to be ready to die, not for his sake, but for ours, to make it clear that it is for our own sake, he adds, for whoever will save a soul shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his soul for my sake, the gospel's sake, or the same shall save it. Mark 8.35 What does this mean, that anyone who wants to save it shall lose it, and anyone who wants to lose it shall save it? Man is twofold, consisting of our outward man, the body, and our inward man, the soul. When our outward man gives himself over to death, he loses his soul. We're separated from him, but when someone loses his soul for Christ and the gospel, he truly saves and gains it, procuring it for eternal life in heaven. And this is how he will receive it in the resurrection, and by his will become heavenly and eternal even, I say in his body. Anyone by contrast who clings to life is not prepared to lose his soul, and the way he becomes, he loses his fleeting age and everything to do with it. He will inflict loss on his soul, depriving it of true life, and will lose it, surrendering it along with himself, Alas, to eternal punishment. The all-merciful Lord mourned for such people and indicated how great a disaster was theirs by saying, For what shall I profit a man if he will gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall be man given in exchange for his soul? Mark eight thirty six thirty seven. For neither is his glory nor any other deceptive honors and delights of this present age chosen by him in preference to the death which brings salvation, will go down with him. However, any of these things be given to in exchange for a human soul, which is worth more than the whole world. Even if a man could gain the whole world, brethren, it would be of no benefit to him, because he would have lost his own soul, 
reality, each person can only acquire an infinity, infinitely small share of this world. What a disaster, then, if someone loses a soul in all his efforts to acquire this tiny share, rather than choosing to take up the sign and word of the cross and to follow the giver of life. Now both of the sign which we reverence and the word concerning it are, in fact, the cross. As the word and the mystery came before the sign itself, we shall expound them to your charity first, or rather Paul expounded them before us. Paul, who boasts in the cross, determined not to know anything save the Lord Jesus and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 What does he say? The cross means crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 5.24 Do you think he is referring only to the passions of sensual pleasures and gluttony? In this case, he would not have written it to the Corinthians. Since there is among you strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? First Cornel, First Corinthians 3, three. Consequently, anyone who loves glory or money or simply wants to impose his own will in his eagerness to prevail is carnal and walks as men, since such things are a source of division. As James the Lord's brother says, from whence comes wars and fights among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, war in your members? Yet lusts have not ye fight and war. James 4, 1-2 through 2. Crucifying the flesh with its passions and longings means stopping all activity, which is displeasing to God. Although our body many may pull us down and exert pressure on us, we must still lift it up, urging, urging it, to the height of the cross. What am I trying to say? When the Lord was on earth, he lived a life of poverty, and not just lived, but preached poverty, saying, Whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all he hath, cannot be my disciple. Luke fourteen thirty three. May none of you, brethren, be annoyed when you hear us announcing in unadulterated form the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, be vexed because you think these precepts are unattainable. Bear in mind, firstly, that the kingdom of heaven is subject to violence, and violence take it by force. Matthew eleven twelve. Listen to Peter, the leader of Christ's apostles, who says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. First Peter two twenty one. Then you should consider the fact that when someone really learns how to how much he owes the master and is unable to repay in full. He modestly offers as much as he can and freely chooses to. As for the remaining debt, he humbles himself before the Lord and attracting his compassion through his humility, he makes out for the shortfall. If someone observes his thought reaching out towards riches and wealth, he must realize that this fleshly thought separates him from Christ, crucified with him. How can you begin to take this thought up to the height of cross? Having put your hope in Christ, who provides for all creation and nurtures it, keep away from the unjust gains, and do not be too attached even to honest income. Put it to good use, and let the poor share in it as much as possible. It is the same without commandment. To deny the body and take up our cross. Other godly people who live according to his will have bodies 
They are not too attracted to them, but make us use of the assistance when necessary. Should they be called upon to do so and are ready to be parted from them? If you act in this way in respect of the body's attributes and needs, even if you can do nothing more, this is good and pleasing to God. Do you see that you have not crucified yourself? How can this be done? Flee from looking inquisitively at women, from unseemly familiarity with this fashion, by giving up excessive drinking, drunkenness, eating your fill, and sleeping too much, to the renunciation of these evils, and to humble-mindedness. And call upon God with a contrite heart for help against this passion. Then you too will sin. I have seen the wicked in great power. And then you would too say, I have seen the wicked in great power and filled up like a cedars of Lebanon. I passed him by to self-control, and lo, he was not. I sought him in humble prayer, but his place could not be found in me. Psalm thirty-six, thirty-five. Are you troubled by the thought of love and glory? When are you in meetings or councils? Bring to mind the Lord's advice on the subject of the Gospels. Do not try to appear superior to others when you speak. Practice any virtue you have in secret, looking only to God and seen only by Him. And in fathers, thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward it properly. Matthew 6.6 6. If after cutting off the cause of every one of the passions, the thought of them still inwardly troubles you, do not be afraid. It will procure you crowns, since it annoys you, but does not win you over, and is not active. It is a dead movement conquered by you, by your godly struggle. Such is the word of the cross, 1 Corinthians one eighteen. It was, and is, and therefore, a great and truly divine mystery, not only in the time of the prophets before it was accomplished, but also now after it has been fulfilled. Why is this so? On the face of it, anyone who lowers and humbles himself in all respects seems to be bringing dishonor on himself. Anyone who flees carnal pleasures appears to be causing himself toil and grief, and anyone who gives away his possessions looks as though he is making himself poor. But by the power of God, this poverty, grief, and dishonor give birth to inexhaustible riches, inexpressible delight, and eternal glory, both in this world and in the world to come. Paul ranks those who do not believe this and prove their faith by their actions with the lost or with the Greeks. We preach, he says, Christ crucified unto Jews and stumbling block, because they do not believe in the saving passion. And to the Greeks' foolishness, as they value transitory things above all else, because of their complete disbelief in God's promises. But unto them that are called Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. It is the wisdom of, and power of God, to be victorious through the weakness, exalted through humility, rich through poverty, not not only the word and the mystery of the Christ are divine and to be revealed, but also is said to by a sign. For it is holy saving and venerable seal, above the hallow and perfect of all the good, marvelous, and indescribable things which God has done for the human race.
They can take away the curse and condemnation, destroy corruption and death, bestow eternal life and blessing. It is the wood of salvation, the regal scepter, the divine trophy of victory over visible and invisible enemies. Even though the heretic's followers are insanely displeased, they have not attained to the apostles' prayer. They might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Ephesians 3.18 They have not understood that the Lord's cross discloses an entire dispensation of his coming in the flesh and contains with them the whole mystery of this dispensation, extending in all directions and embracing everything above, below, around, and between. Their heretics abhor the sign of the King of Glory. Psalms 24, 7-10 Putting forward the excuse and accordance with which they are reasonable, we ought to reverence the cross along with us. The Lord himself, when he was going to ascend the cross openly, referred to it as his lifting up and his glory. John three fourteen through 15 And he announced that when he came again and manifested himself, the Son of the Son of Man would come with power and great glory. Matthew twenty four thirty. The heretics say that because Christ died nailed to a cross, they cannot bear to see the form of wood on which he was put to death. But there was handwriting nailed to drawn up against us because of our disobedience when the forefather stretched out his hand to the tree. How was it taken out of the way and obliterated, enabling us to return to God's blessing? Where did Christ despoil and drive drive completely away the principalities and powers of evil spirits, which he had taken hold of in our nature in the time of the tree of disobedience? Where did he triumph over them and put them to shame so that they could be set free? Where was the middle wall of partition broken down and our enemies towards God abolished and put to death? By what means were we reconciled with God, and how did we hear the good news of peace with him? Surely it was on the cross and by the means of the cross. Let those who doubt listen to what a possible written to the Ephesians. For Christ is at peace, who has broken down the middle wall of the partition between us for for might reconciled both into God and one body in the cross, having slain the enemy thereby. Ephesians 2.14.16 To the Colossians he writes, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath be quickened together with him, having forgotten you all trespasses, blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out to the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made slow of them, the opening triumphant, triumphing over them in it. Colossians two thirteen through fifteen. Surely we should be honored and use this divine trophy of freedom for the whole human race. In his appearance alone puts the serpent and originator of evil to fight triumphs over him, and disgraces him, proclaiming him defeated and crushed. It glorifies and magnifies Christ. And, and displays his victory to the world. If it really means 
really necessary to discard the cross because Christ suffered death on it, then his death too would be nearly honorable, would too would be neither honorable nor salutary. So how can we have baptized into death? As an apostle tells us, Romans 6, 3, how can we share in his resurrection if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death? Romans 5. On the other hand, if someone were to reverence the sign of the cross without the God's Lord's name written on it, he should justly be accused without the Lord's name just accused of doing something incorrect. Since at the time of Jesus, every knee should bend to bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things underneath the earth. Philippians 2.10 And the cross bears the venerable name. How very foolish not to bow to the knee and Christ's cross. Cleaning our hearts as well as bending our knees. Come, let us worship with David, the psalmist and prophet, at the place where his feet stood. Psalm 132.7 Where all his all-embracing hands were outspread and his life-giving body was stretched out for our sake. As we reverence and greet the cross with faith, let us draw keep the abundant sanctification flowing from it. Then at the sublimely glorious future, advent of our Lord and God, Savior Jesus Christ, as we see him come in glory, we shall rejoice and skip for joy unceasingly, having attained to a place of his right hand and heard a promised joyful words and blessing to the Son of the Son of God, crucified in the flesh for us. For to him belongs all glory, together with his Father, without beginning, and to all holy good and life-giving spirit, now and forever, and to ages of ages. Amen.